Hello and welcome to the Beautiful Business Podcast. Beautiful Business is a community for leaders who believe there's a better way of doing business. We believe beautiful businesses are led with purpose by people who care, guided by a clear strategy and soulfully grown. Hello folks, welcome to this week's episode of the Beautiful Business Podcast. My name is Ewan Sang, part of the Beautiful Business team and in this episode I was joined by Jen Swain. Jen is currently the Managing Director at Beat Freaks and has previously run her own business focusing on coaching and consulting to empower female leaders. Prior to that, she has been in the software and creative agency world for more than 12 years, most recently as Operations Director for a global tech for good agency. Jen's work at Beat Freaks taps into her passion to platform the next generation so they can help clients shape a better future. Beat Freaks is a youthful and creative insight-led engagement agency specializing in scaling brand relevance for clients through young and diverse audiences between 16 and 35. The services span research and insight, consultancy and activations. Through their work, they build agile communities of 16 to 35-year-olds to understand them as citizens, consumers and workers for the likes of Coca-Cola, Google, TikTok and DCMS amongst others. They have packaged up their knowledge of these audiences into an insights platform called National Youth Trends, which has recently been launched and tells you the mood of now so you can predict the trends of tomorrow. I really enjoyed this interview with Jen. There's some super interesting things in there about engaging Gen Z. Hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Let's talk about why leaders need to understand the challenges faced by Gen Z. Now, it's fair to say that Gen Z can often be derided as being oversensitive, privileged and demanding. I'm really interested to know, Jen, how did these tropes come about and why are they so dangerous when it comes to businesses falling into using them? Such a great question to start off with, Ewan. Thank you for asking. The truth is, I don't know where the tropes kind of originate from, I think. But what I am super clear on is that this kind of generational misunderstanding is really dangerous. I don't know if you came across that quite famous now, Stephen Bartlett sort of soundbite that came out over the last couple of months in terms of him talking about Gen Z and his reluctance to hire them because of, you know, him not seeing the resilience in them as, as employees that he's wanting. And I think, you know, I talked about that generational misunderstanding being dangerous. And I think purely and simply, we can't generalize by whole generations of people, first of all. We know that in the work that we do, we work across 16 to 35, which obviously covers Gen Z and millennials. It's super clear to us in terms of the conversations that we have with people that we're seeing more individualism. And, you know, we can't sort of tarnish an entire generation's worth of people with behaviors that represent that whole gen. So to me, that's why it's really dangerous for sort of businesses to start talking around these sort of generational sweeping statements, because they're simply, in my opinion, not reflective of real life. I think it's really interesting because this way that you just framed it just then and how we can't use these sweeping generalizations of a generation. If we were to use sweeping generalizations of somebody's ethnic background or somebody's, you know, social kind of upbringing or whatever it might be, it is just not acceptable to do that. You know, you can't do that. Yet we find ourselves falling into trap of doing it when it comes to talking about generations and generations in particular. I do find it really interesting when you kind of reflect back on, you know, where do these kind of tropes come from and how dangerous it is and just how different circumstances have been over the last few years, and particularly to Generation Z. So just for the benefit of our listeners, when we talk about Generation Z, what's the broad definition of? Because it's normally done via birth year or when they were born. Is that right? That is absolutely right. Yes. So Gen Z were born between 97 and 2012. So their current age is kind of between sort of 10 to 25. 
Okay. It is really interesting because I just think back to the, you know, what's happened in, in my lifetime and the changes that have happened. So things like free education or part paid education, affordable housing, stable employment, and two world changing events around the financial crisis and then the pandemic as well. Mm. So it just doesn't seem to make sense that we can compare the lives that we have lived and the privileges that we've enjoyed versus, you know, what other people do. And again, when we think about, you know, would you give somebody a hard time if they came from a war torn country somewhere or whatever it might be? You just wouldn't make that sort of comparison, yet we seem to fall into, you know, so much. Stephen Bartlett, you know, the fellas achieved a huge amount and a lot to be admired for. But that, I hadn't heard that statement, but in my mind, it's a bit of a boo-boo to make, particularly when it comes to inclusivity, which is a big topic within Beautiful Business, and also just being, I don't know, considerate, I suppose, and more broad in terms of your thinking. Absolutely. Yeah. I think there's a couple of things you mentioned in there, and I think that difference that we experience depending on when we're born. I personally believe that we have different values depending on when we're born and the life experiences that we go through. I think that is one of the areas that we can draw some broader comparisons between generations around because, as you rightly pointed out, we've gone through some pretty big events over the last few years. Currently, Gen Z are starting out in the world of work and they're going through a cost of living crisis. As you mentioned, the housing market is really tough to get onto these days. So, you know, they're coming not just as consumers or citizens, but also as workers with different expectations and values of what they want to see in the world. And I think that's why I think we need that empathy to understand that people's lived experiences are different no matter where they've come from and what they've been through. I think you hit the magic word right there, empathy. I think it comes back to that. And we talk about how important it is as leaders of businesses to show empathy. And this is just an extension of that. And it's a realization of being empathetic as an employer. And so that just kind of brings me on to the next question, I suppose, in terms of how can we understand the challenges faced by Gen Z from an employer's perspective? Because we can start off in terms of the upside. If we get this right, then what are the benefits to employers? If we can get the way that we engage with and the way that we help and the way that we support Gen Z, if we can get that right, what is the upside for employers, would you say, Jen? I think first and foremost, loyalty. People want to be accepted for who they are these days. I think just referring back to my previous point about generational values, I think knowing that Gen Z in particular are facing a relative amount of adversity, really, in terms of the economic situation that we're in and instability that we've got around us. I think what I'm certainly seeing, and you know, we obviously have a young team at Beat Freaks and I'm actively recruiting at the moment. And what has stood out to me is this potential theme of younger people getting onto the ladder of work, but actually in a world where they're able to control very little about what's going on around them, their sense of self and their prioritization of actually who they are is really coming through. So, you know, I mentioned that kind of individualism, really seeing that they're taking control of the things that they can, which means the way that they communicate is going to be authentic to them. They're not going to want to necessarily fall in line with, you know, how employers are setting those boundaries. They want to be themselves and the way they dress and the way they show up to work and, you know, what they want to do when they're there. So I think really, if we can get our heads as employers around this kind of us not laying down the law and saying, this is how you work with us, but actually being a bit more of a two-way conversation that essentially fits the individual. I think that's really one of the keys that we've got to unlock. And I think that will generate you know, real loyalty in terms of people sticking around. The Wild Company, who launched Beautiful Business, they do a survey across a different business group. But one of the consistent challenges that the businesses have is around talent. It's around acquiring, attracting and retaining talent. 
And there is something there, and this might be a bit of a rose-tinted view of stuff, but I often think about, you know, when you see the youngsters coming through, there's a degree of naivety, and you can see that as a negative kind of trait, but there can also be such a positive thing as well when they look at problems with a fresh set of eyes, with a different perspective as what you say, with their kind of individuality, and they can look at solutions that perhaps we are conditioned away from or whatever it might be. And it is interesting, again, to your point about improving loyalty and linked to that is the attraction of working for an employer who can be seen as progressive, who can be seen as connecting with Gen Z, even if it's not as explicitly as saying, you know, we're a Gen Z, a friendly employer, whatever, but it's just in terms of the values, your behaviors and the way that you treat your staff. Then that can be absolutely priceless in terms of attracting the talent, reducing your recruitment costs, reducing the turnover of, you know, bad hires or whatever might be coming into your business. Yeah, I would completely agree with you. I think one of the things that you said in there was around kind of this creativity and innovation. And that is one of the biggest reasons why we want to work with that age range that we specialize in, because we know that they've got this unleashed creativity and innovation and ideas in them that perhaps business or perhaps institutions or councils or government, actually, they're so slow in the way that they operate, or perhaps they aren't getting that injection of new, fresh ideas. That is exactly the space that we love to play in because we know how to elicit that amazing creativity from young people. And you're absolutely right. You know, I think employers in general do have a bit of a a shift coming when it comes to recruitment, talent, retention. I just think that whole piece, and it's not going to be an easy thing to do, by the way, but I think, you know, there's going to be far more personalization around how that happens in the future, because I just think we have no option. I don't think people are responding in the same way. You know, we're hearing a lot about businesses saying that there's a talent shortage, you know, where are all these great people hiding? Well, actually, my belief is that they're not hiding. They're, you know, they're just not attracted to the the proposition that you're putting out there. So, you know, it might be time for a bit of a radical rethink. That's it. And again, that old adage of people are more comfortable with old problems than they are with new solutions. They feel comfortable to be, you know, this very regimented, blue collar, white collar, sorry, kind of um, organization, very prim and proper. Maybe it isn't right for the times. It is a really interesting phase that we're going through. And I think that there's always going to be the supporters, people like yourselves at Beat Freaks and other more kind of progressive employees that are out there that are kind of embracing this change and looking for ways that they can, you know, as you say, tap into this kind of talent pool that's coming through. And then you're going to have the neutrals who are kind of near the head. And then you're going to have the detractors who don't want to see the change, who want to see nine to five regular, you know, turn up in, you know, in, in your shiny shoes and your ties and things like this. And obviously there's me kind of saying that we can't generalize, blatantly generalizing. <laughs> However, there are those types of organizations, right? There are all those types of leaderships who are resistant to change, even if change is coming at them. And just like time keeps on ticking, just like generations are coming through. This is something that as employees, we have to get better at. Is that something that we have to embrace? Absolutely. And I think key to everything that you've just said is staying relevant, because that's one of the key things that we look at for our clients is scaling their relevance. Because ultimately, we know how fast things are changing. You can see it all around you. Unless businesses get on board and actually understand what they need to do to adapt and maintain that relevance, not just with their future audiences of employers or customers, or but also with the people that are maybe currently employed and maybe also would, would welcome some progressive changes and things like that. You know, yeah, relevance is really key, I think, and tapping into how we maintain that relevance through what I feel is obviously a very unstable economic and political time at the moment. I think Gen Z are the ones who can kind of tell us where it's going in a way. I just want to take a quick minute to say thanks to our trusted partners, Crystal Hosting. Crystal is a B Corp powered by 100% renewable energy and has a goal of planting 1 billion trees by 2030. Crystal service is super fast and super reliable and they're genuinely really nice people. We're super picky over who we work with as partners at Beautiful Business, and we're delighted to count Crystal as one of them. 
back to the podcast. To me, why you know businesses aren't thinking about how, as you say, they maintain relevance. What are the reasons why businesses need to consider Gen Z and also, I guess, consider the challenges that they face looking at it from a customer perspective? It's an amazing question. And I think, first of all, I think we know in terms of the scale of the opportunity, 30% of the world's population is Gen Z. So in terms of knowing the size of the opportunity and the market share there, it's ridiculous to ignore it, first of all. I think also they're not just the consumers of the future. They're also kind of setting their own ways of doing things and trends. So I think being open-minded to understanding not just that there's an opportunity to sell more stuff to this generation, but also understanding what's making them tick. You know, that's where this insight piece comes into play. And I'm sure we'll talk about that in a little bit. But the size and scale of the opportunity to me is the biggest piece there. A couple more stats for you of interest. So 50% of the world's population is under the age of 30, which is huge. It's massive. And we know that actually young millennials, so, you know, sort of towards the higher end of the age bracket that we specialize in, they've got the most spending power of any generation so far. So, you know, if you look at that, even in the context with the lens of what we're going through at the moment in terms of there being a bit of a crunch, fully expecting the generation coming through to be big spenders. And so focusing in on how to stay relevant with their changing needs they're quickly changing needs and desires and wants really feels like a sensible place to start thinking when you're looking at strategies for growth and relevance. Yeah, 100%. It just made me think then that whole kind of the idea of groupthink, you know, the trap that organisations can fall into where there are loads of people my age or older thinking, oh, this is what the kids... I think of that Steve Buscemi meme where he's there with his baseball cap backwards holding his skateboard going, uh, you know, what's up, kids, or something like this, and pretending to be a teenager. And I feel like I'm going to be that guy one day at some stage. And that's like inevitable that my grasp and understanding... Well, it's not even the grasp and understanding. My memory of being a 30-something or whatever is going to be very different to the 30-something of today. And I guess that's it. With companies like Beat Freaks and also different initiatives that are out there, but staying engaged with that audience group, understanding them, getting into the insights, as you say. And I mean, we've framed a lot around the challenges that they face at the moment and how that kind of shapes it with our opening question about this negative connotation that Gen Z can often be taken with, the likes of Steve Bollett, whatnot, kind of painting it in the public discourse. But there is a question around, particularly in organizations and talking about that kind of integration piece with those kind of differentiators, things like, you know, free education, home ownership, the size of the state and where things are going that way and job security, certainly as well. I mean, the pandemic was awful for so many younger folks who are in hospitality and things like this. So, and they bore the brunt of it and things can be so different. The differences between individuals can be so different in terms of a kind of generational divide. So from an employer's perspective, what kind of advice would you offer in terms of how you reconcile those differences, that disparity between baby boomer generation, if you have them in the workforce? I'm sure you've got an interesting stat about how many generations are in the workforce now. But from the baby boomers right the way through to the millennials and the Gen Xs, they're all very different types of folks that have gone through very different kind of lives. What kind of advice would you give to employers who have to try and reconcile and bring them together? I wish I had a magic bullet for that particular challenge. But, you know, I think the quick answer is there's no simple way of doing that. I'm an elder millennial myself, and I very much relate to that sort of what was the path that was set by, I guess, the Gen Xs and the boomers in terms of, you know, you climb the ladder. As you climb the ladder, that success kind of comes to you. And along the way, maybe you'll be able to buy a house. Maybe you'll be able to have a family. You know, those types of things, those kind of milestones for me and, and my generation were very clear. And the way to get there was almost kind of quite scripted for us in some respects. 
I think the key difference is that, and this goes against a lot of the kind of negative connotation stuff you're talking about with Gen Z, but what I have seen from them as a generation of people I work with every day is that they are so self-starting that they are really able to kind of get that momentum for themselves. You know, it's not like they need a path to follow. The amazing talent that they have means that they're probably thinking about holding down one, two or three different jobs in order to achieve their life goals. And actually, I think their life goals are on the shift too, you know, whether that be home ownership or whether that be how they think about relationships, how they think about connection with other human beings. You know, I do genuinely think that their life goals are changing and shifting. I think in terms of the reconciling piece, they're crafting their own way to an extent, which is why I come back to that point of, you know, as employers, I think it's on us a little bit to kind of just support them and platform them to achieve what they want to achieve. And this kind of magic word that we're talking about a lot in terms of the research we're doing around the future of work is all about flexibility. And I really feel like that's the key, being a supportive employer that gives flexibility for your talented people to go off and do what they need to do, but still be grounded in some of the security that you can offer them too. I think that's really powerful. Definitely. And you make it sound so lovely as well, just, you know, that idea of it. We often talk about employee engagement and how there's a bit of discretionary productivity that you unlock if you have that relationship, that kind of trust between employer and employee, where they go the extra mile, where they dig extra deep, where they'll stick with you through the hard times as well as through the good times and things like this. And that isn't or the connection to financial remuneration is incredibly weak in that context, you know. It's effectively who will pay them more. So you can't use money. And even now in the with the trouble that's coming down the line, with the cost of a living crisis and things like this, it has to be something more than that. And coming back to flexibility, if you look at the where the work, we were just talking about video calls and things like this and how the inclusivity, people who were, weren't so comfortable being in the office, who maybe a little bit more introverted, people that wanted to work flexible hours. One of our team members, their brother is moving over to Brazil. Uh, shout out to Tess. Her brother's moving out to Brazil and then flying out to Brazil is something like nine hours or something. And then it's another like four or five hours on the bus or something from the airport to this like amazing house that they got. And to go that far, you can't just go there for a week, you know, or whatever it might be. And bless her, she said, look, would it be okay if I did some work whilst I was out there, which meant that selfishly, not selfishly, she doesn't use up all of her holiday in one go. But also the big thing for her was that she didn't leave the rest of us kind of like scrabbling around having to cover this stuff while she was away. And I was just like... That's lovely. And, you know, and that is, as you say, it's about having that flexibility. And it's also, you mentioned it before, it's how they evaluate their lives and how they see success. And I think you're right. I'm on the same boat as you. I was on the same journey as you. Like, you got to go out, get an education, get a well-respected job and buy a house, have a family, settle down and off you go. Kind of like, you know, rubber stamp, kind of like life plans, as it were. And then you speak to other people and, and I do kind of sit in awe as well of people who do have that, well, you know, possibly going to go a bit of a digital nomad, going to do this, going to do the other. And as you say, it's very hard to kind of reconcile that kind of very prescriptive life journey of which, you know, millennials perhaps and the boomers kind of were led down. And the journey for Gen Z onwards is perhaps a little bit less rigid. Yeah, I would absolutely agree. I think there's a couple of points that I'd love to kind of come back to that you've made there. I think the one thing is about this approach is I think it's quite challenging to scale it because a lot of this trust, a lot of this engagement piece is developed based on relationships. And I've had the privilege of working in kind of quite a people-focused role previously, and I've brought a lot of that into how I kind of lead Beat Freaks. But I think investing in one-to-one relationships with people who work around you when you're in charge of teams, when you're kind of a line manager to somebody, I think is so worthwhile. You know, we're out of that transactional, have you done what I asked for? You know, we're talking about developing deeper human connections. I think that's where you kind of unlock that trust and also give and take in terms of, you know, somebody willing to go to Brazil and still be opening their laptop and getting online. And I think 
The other piece here, which is super interesting to me, and I think is a bit of a personal prediction for the future in terms of the world of work in general. You know, if you think back to industrial revolution times, and then you think about where we've come to from there, particularly post-pandemic, particularly you mentioned video calls, and we were just having a moment about eight hour days, video calls back to back and how the effect that has on the brain. I personally believe we need to shift back to a place where we're giving ourselves more time in the real world. Obviously, the metaverse is coming down the tracks, apparently, and you know whether people do fully engage with that or not, yet to be seen. But I do believe that we are asking a lot of people to spend so much time staring at screens. And you know, I think part of what we're going to see, and I personally do hope for, is that kind of bringing a bit of adventure and stuff back into life for people. Because work is a really important part of all of our lives, I'm sure, but we also need to be living our lives and making the most of them while we have them, really. Definitely, definitely. I mean, we don't want to kind of go all, all kind of like deep into this and philosophical, but I always think, I always think of a Guardian article I've read ages ago about a palliative nurse. She used to obviously give end-of-life care and she would speak to the patients in their, you know, in their final moments and stuff. She always said, you know, all the people that she helped and she looked after, not one of them said, I wish I worked harder. You know, I wish I'd spent more time on this work kind of business. All of them would, you know, wish I spent more time with family, with friends, having fun, smiling, laughing and things like this. So it does make you think and reflect like, you know, these journeys that we've been on, get a proper job, work nine to five, get a pension, buy a house, have a family, all this kind of stuff. I mean, obviously, have a family is lovely, but uh, <laughs> in case, in case my <laughs> missus is listening. But it does make you think like the work and that whole kind of relationship with work and how we used to have it or how I've had it. Is it so good if you compare to the relationship that Gen Z has with work? And as you say, if you get that connection right, and I agree with you, actually, I think it will be more human. We kind of gone this through this full kind of full circle thing. And it's super interesting. I don't want to get lost on the rabbit hole, but this whole idea of the industrial revolution and how work, workhouses, working week and things like this was all about boosting productivity. It was all about, you know, we're getting us out of the wars that we face is famine, the working conditions, low life expectancy and things like this. And it feels like we've gone to that point where we don't need those kind of conditions anymore. There's all the more reason for us to look at us as humans, as people and the satisfaction that we need to get out of our lives and how we do it. So yeah, maybe Gen Z do have a lot to teach us is the answer to this, right? I've converted you already, I can see. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Jen Swain from Beat Freaks for taking the time to interview and sharing your advice, insights and experience. Thank you for joining us for this week's Beautiful Business Podcast. Beautiful Business is a community for leaders who believe there's a better way to do business. Join us next time for more interesting discussions on how businesses can bring about change, helping communities, building a fairer society and safeguarding the planet. You can also join in the discussion at www.beautifulbusiness.uk.